DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to welcome in David Locke, his weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. Nine months ago today, boys. Nine months ago today. Yeah. Your whole internal basketball clock, the rhythm of the seasons, completely shattered, which, of course, I realize is, you know, in order of stories, uh, importance, not even the top 100,000 stories, but we're doing sports, so we'll stick with that. You ready for a little preseason basketball? Yeah, I think actually, though, what you just brought up is, I think, one of the most untalked about stories. Um, I think there's a few kind of things going on in the league right now, and everything's so unnatural and so rushed that I'm not sure the the guys who are doing analysis of it have actually had the time to do the analysis of it. And I think that one right there is probably, you know, one of the biggest ones. And that is, um, and I think it's going to impact veterans a great deal um, that these guys are creatures of habit. And, you know, you know, Ray Allen used to talk about, I'm not a little OCD. I'm a lot OCD. Um, And, you know, I think that that, um, these guys have figured out a pattern and a rhythm of how they do things and it's completely disrupted. And so as much as they're probably trying to get ready and think they're, you know, they're not quite, I think it's going to impact that. It's like some of the younger players. Wow. Okay. So my, you know, my system's gotten disrupted. I, I didn't have a system, but you know, from our standpoint for a Mike Conley or some of that sort, who's been in the league for 13 years, like this is a pretty significant disruption. I, I think some of those veteran players are going to be um, a little off their game. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the, the old, usually if you think about major significant injuries in our league, it's actually younger players. Usually I don't know significant injuries, but I could see some of the older players having some injury issues. Um, so I, I, that's a storyline I'm going to watch really early in the season. I, I think that's going to be very significant to what's taking place in the league. So what kind of start the Jazz going to get off to then? Uh, well, I mean, you we would hope, you know, the Jazz traditionally under Quinn have not started well, but you would hope that's not the case this year because of the fact that they have continuity. And from all the research Kevin Pelton of ESPN has done, continuity has kind of a lasting uh of a few months, not a whole season. Usually you kind of can see an uptick for a few months and we have that, um, you know, that crazy road trip they have early. I actually think is probably, you know, if there's any team that can survive it, it's us because of the fact that they, they've been together. They know each other. They have that camaraderie. Um, and, you know, even adding in favors, uh, talking to people that, you know, are at practice and things, you know, one of the things is not that has been kind of relayed to me is that knowledge of the system is super high right now yeah. and it's allowed them to, to progress through. So hopefully uh, we'll see a team start better than it has in years past. When you talk about people who are at practice, I don't know if everyone's aware, but in the past, the broadcasters were, I don't know if required is right, but expected to be there, if not all the time, or, a lot. Or, or, ex- or let's rephrase it, just excite. I mean, I just thought one of the greatest gifts I've ever had was well, yeah, to be able for you, to have a front row seat, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, so, I wasn't required or like it was just like what an incredible honor and luxury to be able to go to watch practice. Like but it's that, all so. but it's all different now. You're not. Are you going to be allowed anywhere near the locker room? Or I've even heard stuff about no, no. hallways and being just. They're really trying to. The bubble refers to Orlando, but within the fact they're playing home games, they're trying to keep people away and kind of keep guys in the bubble, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect at this point that I'll call an NBA season without talking to a player or coach in person. 
How much is that going to impact what you do? Uh, I'll do the best job that I possibly can, David, and deliver an incredible broadcast to our fans. <laughs> so a lot, huh? <laughs> like, I mean, I, you know, we can do a self-evaluation of what my strengths and weaknesses are some other time, but I would say that most of the things I think I do really well involve that concept. So I've been talking about it this week. I've been listening to some NBA radio. There's a guy on there. I don't know his last name. His first name was Cam, and he was doing a oh, show. No. He usually does a show with uh, Antonio Daniels, but he was doing it with uh, – AD. AD is one of the more fun people I've covered in my career. He's pretty good. But this particular day he was doing it with uh, oh, um, Reggie Theus. Uh, maybe maybe his name is Rick. I'm looking it up right now in Sirius Rick Jackson. Yeah. Uh, but I was listening to it the other day, and he had the Jazz at seventh in the postseason. Yeah, he had Phoenix at sixth. Don't see that. So the only thing is, all right. So I don't see that at all. Um, I had a moment yesterday where I was like, maybe we we'll get the number one seed. Like you know, the Lakers take most of the time off and they rest, and they just decide doesn't matter. We'll go. To, we're so good, that, and they are that good. They're just loaded. Um, that they'll go to the playoffs, and that you know the Clippers just. Have a few, I think the Clippers are really good. I think the Clippers are. I think the Clippers are the team that's being untalked, uh, underrated right now. Actually, um, but um, nonetheless, you know. So the clip, you know, we catch the clip. Like we're in a race with the Clippers for the number one seed. Like that. That thought crossed my mind um, the other day. So I, I, but I also let's just you know let's be clear for a second. The seasons cut by 12%. So, you know, if you're playing somebody in ping pong, you know is going to beat you the way that you can beat them is shorten the game because you've changed the, you've changed the, you know, po- potential outcomes. And so having a shorter season will compact the standings. And then teams are really close. Like, I think there's nine teams from, you know, I think the Lakers are better than everyone. I think the Clippers might be better than everyone, but let's say they're not, or that the Lakers take, you know, rest a considerable amount, then one through nine is going to be separated by like four games. So, you know, I can tell you, I think the Jazz are the third best team and the Rick can say that the Jazz are the seventh or eighth best team. And it sounds really dramatic, but I actually don't think it is. I think it's like a game or two. So why are you so high on the Clippers? Because they clearly had chemistry issues. Paul George, we have seen up close and personal. He's in Oklahoma City. I know he had success in the playoffs and was well thought of as a playoff performer early in his career, but that has not been the case the last three years or so. And they got a new coach, and there's still different rules for Kawhi Leonard and everybody else. Is that really all going to work out? Or is all the change actually going to help improve the chemistry that was so bad? All right, so they had all these chemistry problems. There's no question they had them. Um, But they also won a lot of basketball games last year, right? They were the two seed, weren't they, with all those problems? Yeah. With Kawhi and Paul George not playing very much and Paul George coming off a shoulder surgery and hardly playing at all to start the year. So, like, okay, they had all those problems. Those were clear and obvious, and they were accentuated in the bubble, and there will be a bubble aspect of this that – maybe accentuates it as well, but they also won an awful lot of games last year um, and were the second-best team in the West, and they're way better than they were a year ago. I mean, they went 49-23 and 23 last year, so they, they, weren't, they were well on their way to winning about 55, 56 games. Uh, Luke Kennard's an upgrade, gives them more ball movement, another shooter. Serge Ibaka's an upgrade. 
And, like, I don't know if this is fair entirely since I wasn't on the inside, but let's just deduce a few things. Okay, the player during the season who went to the media and talked about the fact that they had internal problems and they weren't getting along and that guys needed to do to change things and the way we had it before was better was Montrez Harrell. And then Montrez Harrell said to the media, it felt like the, you know, the Clippers, I don't know if the Clippers must not have wanted me back. They never even offered. Well, okay, well, maybe they didn't want you back. Maybe actually that's where a lot of the chemistry problem lies. Um, and so I think there's a little bit of that going on here that maybe they've actually adjusted and taken care of some of their chemistry problems a little bit more than, you know, we realize when they, um, by just the little roster shifts. Serge Ibaka has worked with Kawhi before. And they're good. I mean, they're really, really good. So, yeah, I think they're being really missed. And I think Tyrone Lue, if he has a strength as head coach, from everything I've talked to people who've worked with him or know him, or, is that you know he gets the, the guys to play. Like, they respect him and they listen to him. If memory serves, Joe Ingles struggled with the second unit compared to the first unit. I assume he's going to be coming off the bench. How do they make sure that that situation is better than it was last year? Because I think they've changed who the second unit is. Um, I don't think that Joe struggled post-December 25th um, or December 24th, like when they made the changes. But, you know, that second unit to start for him was Emmanuel Moutier and Jeff Green. Um, Just watching practice every day during that time period, I would say there was just an aspect of things that you just could tell Joe wasn't comfortable with and couldn't play his regular role. Um in that in that time period, so I I could see it every day at practice that there was an element where Joe was not comfortable. I think once you added Jordan Clarkson to that group, um, you know Joe actually got a pretty good little thing going with Tony Bradley there for a little while. Um, I, I think Joe got better. I mean, Joe had a really inconsistent season last year, from you know just kind of a an absent start to an and not particularly not he didn't. His bubble performance wasn't what I was anticipating um, from him, but that middle stretch of games of that kind of 35 game stretch, my memory would be he shot well over 40% from three. I mean, I, I think if you go to pre-bubble, and I'm now looking it up, so here it is. I had it in my notes. You know, December 24th to the March 11th, he shot 46% from the field, 41% from three. He averaged 10 points a game, four rebounds, and six assists. That's in 30 minutes. That's, you know, that's Joe at his peak. So I, I think the, the struggles took place um, with the Jeff Green and Emmanuel Moutier's ball dominance, um, and, they, and they went away when, when they kind of changed with that, that roster. And I think he'll be playing with Mike. I, I suspect that Mike or Donovan – will be on the floor for all 48 minutes, and I suspect that Derek and Rudy will be on the floor for all 48 minutes. So when Joe Ingles is on the floor, uh, if assuming it's the bench unit, the bench unit, in my mind, if Donovan's on the floor, it's not the bench unit. <laughs> so if Donovan's sitting, Conley's there. If Gobert is sitting, Favors is there. Clarkson is there. That that feels like a pretty... I only need one more guy. That feels like a pretty good bunch, bench unit. No, right. I mean, I think... I think the bench unit could be really, you know, yeah. So, I mean, I think the bench unit is Conley, Clarkson, Ingles, Favors. And then likely Niang is a fabulous shooter. But I do think that there's some other things you could do 
in that group. Um, Boyan and Rudy have matched minutes last year, um, much more than I realized when it was going on. I've talked about it a lot since, only because we went to the bubble and tried to look at lineups without Boyan and suddenly realized that there weren't any, like Boyan and Rudy were on the floor every minute together. I suspect that stays the same. And so when you kind of start building these lineups, I think you think of, and it's really complicated. I mean, they have eight guys who probably could play close to 30 minutes a night. Well, that's all 240 minutes right there. So it's really complicated to try to figure out how you're fitting in all the minutes and if Favors is playing any minutes at the four with Rudy, then where's Niang getting any time? Because Boyan's probably, and then Boyan's sliding to the three some of the time. I think they have like three different starting lineups, four different starting lineups they could use. Um, the rotation stuff's really complicated with this group, but I do think there's some principles. I think Donovan or Mike are on the floor at all times. Derek or Rudy are on the floor at all times. And Boyan matches Rudy. And then build from there. And um, and so that bench unit might... And I think you're going to see Oni and Brantley get an opportunity to have time and play. And maybe Morgan as well. So then the two rooks are just G League guys? I just can't imagine those guys can play at all this year. I just can't imagine. I mean, there's just... If... I mean... I guess, you know, Azabuke may be able to play a little this year in the sense he's just so big that he just has that advantage and he just plays. Um, but you haven't played since March. There is something to, it's brutal, but the whole car wash these guys go through where they go to everyone's camp and they do all these workouts and they do all that stuff is an introduction to the NBA. Like it's a little bit how, you know, if you go to those workouts, you know, they'll be working on something and they'll say, okay, in the end, we guard the pick and roll like this, do it like this. Well, that's different than how you guard it in college. Like, you don't actually ever have to really go over on a pick and roll in college because there isn't anybody in college that can just pull up off the dribble and bury a three very often. And you don't really have to go, like, you know, rip through on a high pick and roll and blow up the, the spacing because spacing in college is so bad. So there's just a whole different way you guard the pick and roll as a defensive player. And I've watched numerous times where like the coaches are like, okay, this is how we guard the pick and roll in the NBA. And the guy tries to do it and he can barely can't understand it, but it's the beginning of the introduction of what he's, what they're going to do. So they didn't get that. It's not that they didn't get summer league. They didn't get the 13 days of practice or whatever it is, 10 days of practice prior to summer league where they go through the system. Then they didn't get summer league. Then there's a whole period of time where those guys come to the city and they start to work, and it's probably in the middle of late August, and they play from August to October in the team's gym, working out, and sometimes one-on-one with coaches if they want to. There's some legalities where they can and can't do, so I'm not saying what it is, but I don't remember, you know. But they're working with people. They're not, And then, starting in September, there's the whole OTAs where the, all the college players have gone to college, so the pros come back to their home towns, and they start playing games. They didn't get any of that. There's no chance these guys are ready to play. I don't think other than rookies on teams where for marketing and developmental purposes they have no choice but to play them. Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball, maybe James Wiseman, though he has COVID and is not like gone through one minute training camp, so I can't imagine I can't actually imagine he plays I don't know when he plays. Um and has he missed all he's just gonna miss all training camp. Um these guys have no chance. It's like totally unfair. if Elijah Hughes finds a way to get like eight minutes a night for the Jazz this year, he's going to be fabulous because he's playing the biggest uphill battle. Seniors maybe closer to being ready than um, than 18, 19-year-old first-year players, but I, I can't imagine rookies having any impact at all this year. 
I'm kind of thinking they're not going to practice much during the season playing 37 games 100%. in 71 days. I mean, it's 100%. just— 100%. But also, no, it, Quinn talked about that he is—he wants to—he knows that that's such a grind that he wants to give guys days off as opposed to trying to limit their meeting, their, their minutes in a game, to say, you know, on this back-to-back or whatever— you're not playing, and he says it really helps the guy who replaces him because then that guy knows, okay, I don't have to look over my shoulder. They need me to play 20 or 25 or 30 minutes, depending on you know who it is and what position and all that stuff. And also, you know, he said the thing we're all going to have to be ready to roll with. I mean, you hope there's no positive COVID tests, but the league is crazy if the league thinks there are going to be no positive COVID tests, right? I mean, right. Look at what's happened with the NFL and with college football. So you may lose a guy out of your rotation for two weeks. I mean, you just and that and that'll be eight or nine games. So when you add up, hey, these guys have to play. There's eight guys playing 240 minutes. Well, there's a bunch of reasons why every guy isn't going to be available every night. Which, when it's Gobert or Favors who's out for whatever reason, means isn't Azubuike have to play, or are you going to go with another lineup? Yeah. Uh, I think you. I mean, I, well, I think Morgan could play before Azubuike yeah, just because yeah. he knows how. It's, I mean, I think the Jazz have built themselves their COVID team, right? So Shaq Harrison, Mia Oni can play the two or the three. Brantley can probably play the three or the four, and Morgan can play the four or the five. Right? There's your COVID protection team. Like it's a funny concept, right? So we are at a point here where ten through fourteen on your roster is going to matter this year, for exactly all the reasons you just talked about. Um, there's an, I've always thought this, and maybe this is the year. No one's going to do it, but this is a thought. There's some data out that says, that, you know, in the second game of a back-to-back, that a player, I think, is like 12% slower than they are, on, which is a lot. On a, uh, That might be high, but go just there's a number out there. I can't exactly remember it, and I wasn't prepared for it today. Um, but I've always wondered, so obviously Kevin Durant and LeBron and Donovan and Rudy and the best players in the league, 12% less value of them is still better than anything else. So you just roll with it. But on the second tier player, like 12% less of Royce O'Neal or Joe Ingles is actually a problem. So I actually have always wondered that if you should have just had back-to-back teams, right? So you have Team A is going to play on Game 1 and Team B is going to play on Game 2. And so Team A is, you know, your core three, Donovan, Rudy, and Boyan, it doesn't matter if they're off by a little bit, they're still so good that you want them on the floor. And then you're actually intermixing your one night, Joe is off and Mia Oni is playing. And night two, Royce is off and Jarrell Brantley's playing. And you actually just have it pre-scheduled that every time you have a back-to-back, you have Team A and you have Team B. Like, I always wondered whether teams should be doing that. Wow. <laughs> That's it? You're just blown away, PK? I'm paying that kind of money to go watch Team B. I'm not sure I like that as a fan. But it's not It's not that it's Team B. It's that Team B is better. Right? Yeah, but if, I want, doesn't matter. I want the stars. It's all what I think. No, I, but what, if you heard what, what I said, like, you're playing your primary three guys because even them decreased ability is better than their backup. Right? True. But, but you know, quite frankly, at, thir- at the other guys, maybe not. Like, you know, a tired a, a tired. Royce O'Neal or tired Joe Ingles might not be better than Jarrell Brantley or Mia Oni for a night. I can buy that. My better solution and, and, would be to and the long-term the advantage of Joe and Royce or whomever not playing well tires, right? Like that's also when you get hurt, and there is a value to you know not fatiguing. You know, the interesting thing on the bubble without travel was these guys stayed at peak performance, um, 
and talking to Mike Elliott, who's our just incredibly talented head of all of our medical stuff. He's got a really impressive title, but he's really nice guy is the other one I would give you. Um, he and I were talking in DC once. These would be the things about my job that I can't do anymore. David, thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, about um, <laughs> my fault. I'll own it. <laughs> we just, you know, we just happened to bump into each other in an elevator and hold a conversation that I haven't forgotten yet. Three years later, where we were talking about peak performance, and he was saying we were happened to be at that point on a road trip. I think we were off for two or three days, and he's like, "This is actually the biggest danger. This is the biggest struggle for us. Is when our players are suddenly off for two or three days at a time." They've now dropped out of peak performance level. When they're playing every other day, they're actually holding at peak performance. It's great for them. And he actually made the point, I hope I'm representing it correctly, that even if you're playing, yeah, if you play four out of five, that's bad. Three out of four is tough. But even if he says you're better off playing back-to-back nights than you are sometimes resting for three because you drop out of your peak performance. The regularity of play this year should keep players at peak performance level and might be okay. You want another hypothesis I have not heard? And, Maybe if Mike Elliott or Eric Waters or Barnett or one of our esteemed people on their medical staff is driving in right now, they can text me whether I'm wrong or not, because that's the level our communication's at. Thanks, David. Appreciate you pointing that out. Um, just I'm, a, I'm a truth teller, um, big guy. I'm a truth teller. Uh, the uh, I actually think that everyone's talking about this season wrong right now. Everyone said, oh, the poor Lakers and the poor Heat, it's the shortest period of time ever in the history of the game between the end of the season and the start. They might be mentally tired, but I actually think that those teams, Denver, Boston, Miami, and the Lakers, who were playing high-level basketball most recently, have a, with the shortened training camp, without the OTAs, without the regular ramp-up they usually have, have an advantage over everybody else that their bodies were at peak physical condition most recently. Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks were at peak physical condition most recently nine months ago. They played their last game nine months to today. The teams that like were in the bubble and like exited early, it's that's a pretty long period of time actually. So and those players like Davis Bertans who sat out the bubble or Avery Bradley, they're at nine plus months since they've had their body at peak performance. And at certain ages, I think that's going to be really hard for players to get back to. I, so my take on this is it's being talked about backwards. I think the Lakers, the Celtics, the Heat, and the Nuggets, and then the next year would be the Jazz and the Thunder and those have an advantage. And the Jazz are fairly early exit, right? First round, not second round. Have an advantage over everybody else that they were at peak performance most recently and will be able to ramp back up most quickly. So I have been uh, asking around about the Gobert contract, and I have gotten uh, negotiations. Not it's not a done deal, um, and I've gotten a wide range from people who just don't want to talk about it. They just no comment me and just can't wait to hang up the phone. <laughs> to uh, people who think it's it's hard but it's doable. To people who think this is how negotiations are, and that's I mean, if you're Donovan Mitchell and realistically in the open market, somebody would have given thirty five or forty million. So there's really no negotiation. You give them the max, but that's a rare deal because Rudy's eligible for a super max, and nobody's given him sixty million on the open market, right? So there's actually room for a negotiation. And somebody's saying, David, they're not a hundred million dollars apart. I mean, it's a negotiation, so of course it's hard, and they don't have to have it done opening day. So let it breathe, give it time. I mean, yes, the trade deadline's out there, March twenty fifth, and so if we get down the road, it's a bigger deal. So how worked up should how stressed should Jazz fans be about this? 
Oh, I'd be pretty stressed out about it. Um, only because uh, primarily the reason I'd be stressed out about it is because Rudy's awesome, and you want to get Rudy um, back, right? Like, so I'd be. I mean, I think it's super important to the well-being of the franchise's future, and so. I mean, I'd be, in that sense, I'd be stressed out about it because I care, right? Like, I care greatly if the Jazz are good and when the, the Rudy is unique um, to who the Jazz are. And he's, you know, two players in the NBA defended shots below 51% last year. Rudy Gobert and Brooke Lopez, only one team in the NBA last year, defensively held a team in the bottom five of shots taken at the rim and the bottom five of shots taken from three, the Jazz. Like, you know, the Rudy Gobert with any other small or power forward on the floor has been plus eight over the years. Like it doesn't matter if it's, and most of them are out of the league at this point. Like it doesn't matter if it's Pablo Cephalosha or Jonas Derebko or Jay Crowder or Joe Johnson or Derek Favors over the collection of three years. He did the last time they were together. They were only, I think plus three, but prior to that, they were plus nine and plus 12. Like it doesn't matter who you put boy on plus eight. Tabo plus eight, Jonas plus eight. Like it doesn't Jay Crowder plus eight. It doesn't matter. Rudy's awesome. So, uh, I, you know, I'd be stressed out because I think Rudy is the core to what makes us a team that, you know, he's the one who's been to the second round of playoffs twice. There's nobody else. He and Joe are the only guys on the roster who've done it twice, right? They did it with the Gordon team, with Gordon, and then they did it with Donovan. So, you know, to me, Rudy is just unbelievably, uh, sorry, it's bad English. Rudy is unique, and he changes the game in a manner that is different than any other player in the league. So I certainly want him resigned. David, we appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Yak is notifying us we're way over and we have to go. Yeah, but like there are times when brilliance just overrides the clock. Like let's not just be robots. <laughs> right? Jeez Louise. <laughs> Man, you've changed over 20 years, that's for sure. Thank you, David. See ya. Over <laughs> nine months, too. Yeah, that too. <laughs> David Locke, radio voice of the jazz. They played the Suns Saturday night.